Let's see, there we go. Yeah, we feel really blessed to have you as a church. I feel like we've learned more and more over this last year just how important a loving community is. So I know that you guys will all be very interested in learning more about love. I myself am a couples therapist, and so I like to consider myself a loveologist, like if that was a word, you know. I study it, I think about it. When I'm working, I'm really working on how can we facilitate love? Where does it break down? And then when I'm not working, then I'm at home trying to apply the things that I'm learning about love. And um, tonight we wanna talk specifically about how love applies when our needs conflict. And you would be possibly surprised to know this happens every day in every relationship, there's these conflicts. But I think it's one of the most important breeding grounds for love. So first I want to um, give you a little Hebrew lesson. Uh, yes, we love Hebrew because we gotta make sure this is all coming from the word. So Hebrew is really cool because each letter means something. And it's also a pictorial symbol, and it's also a number. Like in English, the letter L for love doesn't really mean anything, but in Hebrew, it does. So this is the, the word, and it's translated ahava. And the two letters in the middle, um, that's like the base of the meaning, and it means to give, that little hav right there. And then the first letter, which is actually on the right, because Hebrew is read from the right to left, means I. So you can see like a practical definition of the word love means I give. Isn't that cool and deep? And then also that first letter is a symbol that represents the father. The second letter represents reveals like a window. And the third letter um, represents the son. So you see how like the father reveals the son. And when we are, re are loving each other, it reveals the son, which reveals the father. It's pretty amazing, right? Like all of that in one word. And you've probably heard the verse, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love, right? So tonight we'll talk about one thing that's very difficult to give, but when it's motivated by love, you can do it. Let's pray. God, we just thank you so much that you have brought us here to fellowship, to be with you, and to be reminded of truth. Lord, we just always need to be so, we just need to have it in front of us all the time. And I pray that you would bring your um, light and truth and give us your wisdom as we think about this tonight. I pray that you would bring to mind the areas that we need to make changes or repent and that we could just be gifted with um, the fruit of your spirit in love. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Okay, when somebody has a mental health issue, they often expect a number of things, like maybe judgment or maybe rejection or misunderstanding. Um, even compassionate people, when which you guys all are, you might have had somebody that you can tell, they're really a mess, and so you recommend therapy or medication. Have you tried medication, right? Or maybe even prayer, but we don't often think, ooh, this person has a need that I'm responsible to figure out what it means. Or when you do have a need, you don't really expect that somebody will actually respond in a way to make you feel more comfortable, right? But this is what God has designed us to experience. 
we should all grow up convinced that if I'm feeling bad, somebody's going to get it, and they will respond to me and make me feel better. That would be nice, but that's not the experience for a lot of people, maybe like 90% of people, right? Consequently, most people have some false assumptions about the world. Um, one false assumption, we can work through problems on our own, and we should, right? Do you kind of have this sense that if you have a problem with something, you got to figure it out? But the reality is that a lot of times we just can't. The loss of trust that people experience when they feel this, when, they, when they've grown up learning that they have to kind of struggle through things on their own, creates all kinds of mental health problems and lots of pain that's very difficult to cope with. So I'm praying that as a church body, we can give each other hope in this area. When you really know someone and you get what they need, it equips you to love them and it makes your prayers for them much more passionate. Also, since we all grew up in a situation that likely included people competing for their needs to get met, we develop an assumption that when there's a conflict, both people or multiple people will need to get their needs met, be understood at the same time in order to resolve it. But this is actually not the case. In every interaction, one person is more dependent on the other to get their needs met. This is the way it works out in lots of areas of creation, right? We can see, uh, especially like in the example of like a mother and a baby. So um, a parent has an instinct to care about the needs of their child, right? And no matter what they're needing in the middle of the night when the baby is crying, even if there's conflicting needs, they will automatically, instinctively pre, um, take care of, prioritize that child's needs. In like a hostage situation, if you have to choose between your life or the child, you're not going to be, well, he is kind of a goofball. I don't know if he adds much value to the world. I think maybe it's, no, that's ridiculous, right? You will choose the life of your child. Only God could create that situation, right? This is not survival of the fittest. And one of the injuries that parents can inflict most upon their children is reversing this role or somehow not being available to understand what the needs of their child are. So thankfully for us parents, there's a lot of grace in this area. We can mess it up a lot of times and still get more chances, but we should always be thinking in this way, what is my child needing in this moment, not what am I wanting to get out of it? Right? Do you see how one person's needs take precedent over the others there? This order of dependency shows up in culture too, like in an employee-boss relationship. An employee is also always a little more dependent on the part of the owner or manager to think about their needs and to prioritize them above their own. If they can trust it, then that employee will reward that manager with hard work and loyalty. An older sibling also has the responsibility to think of their younger siblings' needs and prioritize them. This was um, very obvious in, a, in Israeli Hebrew culture. So you might have heard that in those times, the oldest son got like twice the inheritance. And I always thought, well, that's kind of rude and favoritism, right? I never understood that that's actually because as soon as the parents died, 
they were responsible to take care of everybody else. And so they needed a little extra money. Tim Keller talks about this in his sermon on the um, prodigal son that he gives. He talks about the older brother. He says, Jesus does not put a true elder brother in this story, one who is willing to pay any cost to seek and save that which is lost. It is heartbreaking. The younger son gets a Pharisee for a brother instead, but we do not. By putting a flawed elder brother in the story, Jesus is inviting us to imagine and yearn for a real one, a true one. That's what a true older brother. So see, he's even saying this older brother in the prodigal son story, all those um, Jews listening to this story would have been like shocked, like, ooh, he should have gone after his younger brother because they knew the rule. But we have lost this wisdom in our culture. I am the oldest sibling in my family, and Isaac is too, my husband. And we never actually realized this order before. So instead of being the older sister that I'm designed to be, I've been competitive or I've been kind of like sometimes resentful if they're not valuing me as much as I value them, right? And it wasn't until literally this last year when I've been studying this so much that I realized I have missed it. I've been like doing all this ministry and like caring for people in Honduras and all over the place. And I haven't been doing my job as an older sibling. So thankfully, I've been able to acknowledge that. I've had a chance to change that. And it has produced so much healing in my family and organization. So I'm so thankful to God for helping me understand this. We also see this order in our relationship with the Father, right? Who takes care of who? We're totally dependent on God from our DNA to our eternity. He takes care of it all. And we, when we willingly trust him, that's when we're best reflecting who he is. Now, in the case of parents and children and us and God, it's always one way most of the time. But in the case of two adult peers, it should alternate depending on the situation. So sometimes you will be in a situation where you must give care and prioritize the needs of somebody else. Other times you will be the one to receive care. But we must accept that when the needs conflict, it is impossible for both people to fight to get those needs met at the same time. In each interaction, we have to ask ourselves, who's more vulnerable here? And that's the one we prioritize. So this sacrifice on the part of the caregiver and the dependence on the part of the receiver is very difficult to carry out. So I've been thinking a lot about it. I put this information into an app. And if you want, get your little phone out. You can use this QR code. It's also on your handout. And when, you, when it takes you to this little link, if you click on that share button, you can add it to your home screen and that's how it becomes an app. And so I'm gonna talk about these steps tonight. And you can either follow along in this app or you can look at it on your handout, but you'll be able to go back to those steps later on. Brian says I have too much information in here, so you can go back to the app <laughs> if you forget it. Um, okay, so before we get into the first step, which I call notice distress, I want you to think about this statement. Um, okay, as a caregiver, think about this statement. When we feel upset, 
we should be able to get our emotions under control before we try to talk about something. Do you think yes, no, or the right answer is yes, unless we can't, okay? Because there's a lot of times that we just can't self-regulate, right? Hopefully over the years, you're getting better at it. As you mature, you're able to kind of have mixed feelings and feel things without getting despairing, but you will always reach a limit to your ability to handle emotion on your own. And so the limit's different for everybody, but don't think you're better than other people who can't self-regulate because you can't either at a certain point. We are designed to co-regulate. So I'm talking tonight about the times when you just can't quite regulate it yourself. And it's more often than you think because sometimes our emotions drive us without us even knowing it. A lot of times they do. So maybe you're not somebody who like will fly off the handle, but you're still doing things without thinking about them. So whenever we have unmet needs, there's usually a symptom that will appear that provides a signal to the other person. For example, like when a baby cries, like I was saying, it's pretty obvious they have a need. And even though we can't quite tell what it is right away, or even if you have a conflicting need, you'll still figure it out, you prioritize it, and you'll take care of them. Now, when they become a toddler, they get a little bit more inconsistent, and their cues are a little more annoying sometimes. So, but they still represent unmet needs, right? And you must understand when someone has an unmet need, there will be a symptom, a complaint, a cue or something, but it won't necessarily make sense to you. It's not always that obvious. Even if there's words that are English, it oftentimes doesn't make sense. And that means that you need more information, okay? It doesn't mean this person should do a better job telling me what their needs are. It means you don't understand, you need more information. So a common sign of distress in women might be like a complaint. She says, I just feel, that's because she went to a couples conference that said to say some I statements. So she's saying I, but she's really blaming, you know? I just feel like I'm not the priority to you because you keep ignoring what I've asked you to do. Or she might get kind of blaming or demanding. You're not showing any interest in me. Can't you just listen? Right? That's kind of demanding. Or they might sound a little short. Like, how was your day? Fine. It doesn't look fine. Right? Or they might just be sad, depressed, or even worse, hopeless about things. In a friendship, someone might not call you back or might complain that they are feeling rejected or jealous. Men oftentimes will withdraw because they don't want to make things worse, right? They might freeze up in conflict and act like nothing is wrong, hope it gets better. They might get defensive and complain, I try to do what you ask, but it's never enough for you, right? They might ignore problems and become passive, withdrawing from responsibility. If it's your child, they might get sneaky or rebellious or act like they don't want to talk to you, right? There's all kinds of ways that someone will present a symptom because they have an unmet need. And they're not always the best ways to express our needs, but remember what I said, the reality is we never, we never totally outgrow our need for someone to know and comfort us. And if we were able to say it in this nicely regulated way, we wouldn't need somebody to help us with it. When we feel too much distress, we are designed to co-regulate. 
This is the one of the ways that we bond, actually. It's one of the ways that we show love and receive love. We're reliant on each other when we can't handle it ourselves. But unfortunately, when someone shows a sign of distress, it often triggers our own unmet needs, right? For example, we all have a need to feel effective and appreciative. Like we're a good whatever, good friend, good parent, good wife, husband. And when somebody's like complaining about you and they don't really say accurate things, um, it's very hard to handle, right? If they tell you, you don't care about me, or we can tell that the closeness is threatened because they have some wrong assumption about us, that person's unmet needs will conflict with our own. Do you see what I mean? This is how it goes in our house. Okay, first I'll show you a picture. Um, so this is my husband, our four kids, and our son-in-law, and we look like we are just a beautiful, happy family, but sometimes we're not, right? When one of us, me or my husband, is in distress, it's oftentimes because of one of our children. And <laughs> if I'm the vulnerable one that day, I might get mad, not really wanting to destroy our relationship, so I'll withdraw, at some point, I need some help because I'm not handling it very well. I might start to cry by myself, but pretty soon I'm going to blame my husband because it's naturally his fault for not dealing with this problem in our child better, right? He'll notice that I'm a little withdrawn, but rather than pursuing understanding like I'm telling you guys to do, he gets a little anxious and thinks to himself, I need to do better somehow. Right? And then he determines to try harder. Or worse yet, he starts blaming my son and feeling resentful that he's coming between us. None of this helps, right? There's, I, then I just get more mad because now I feel like he is not interested even when I'm communicating that I'm not happy. Do you see how all of our needs conflict in that moment? It would go a lot better if someone could like forego their own needs in order to attend to the other. Kind of like going into the room when a baby starts crying. If you notice a sign of distress in your partner, I'm saying partner because it applies to lots of different relationships, you need to go into the room, not ignore it. So here's some things that you can say, some examples. It looks like you're unhappy. Maybe something's wrong. We haven't had much time together for a while. How are you feeling about that? You seem withdrawn lately. Oh, we never finished talking about that argument the other day. You've been working really hard. I'll bet that's challenging to balance everything. Okay, do you get the idea? You bring up a situation that your instinct tells you this is a problem, and it communicates to your partner that you're available to listen to them and their needs are important to you. Okay, at first, let me see here, my, uh, I want, at, okay, as the care receiver, think about what your opinion is in this situation. If I tell my partner something I'm unhappy with and they get defensive, it means, number one, they don't care about my feelings, or they aren't capable of compassion. I'm terrible at communicating. Or the right answer is they also struggle to regulate 
their own feelings when needs conflict. So this is a reality that a lot of us have to face. When we're trying to get somebody to understand us, they don't understand, right? And we need to give people a lot of chances. So it's important that you get this in your head. Many times, if the person you're trying to communicate gets defensive, they just need another chance. You might be blaming, and there's some ways that you can talk as well um, in a little less blaming, more vulnerable way. All right. Um, let's see. Sorry, I lost my page here. Okay, sometimes we get a little bit nervous about bringing something up because we get afraid that it's going to get worse. So pay attention to what you think about this question. When someone is hurt by something I did, but it's because they're believing a lie about me, I should correct them for sure and tell them to read the book, Lies Women Believe in the Truth that Sets Them Free, right? Some, you've heard of that one, right? <laughs> Believe them because after all, I am kind of a schmuck, right? Make sure you turn away before rolling your eyes and wait till they become more rational. <laughs> the right answer is be patient and validate what is true. Remember, it's difficult to process multiple truths at the same time. So you're going to need to be seen accurately. You're going to need to be secure also and treated with respect. And if someone is coming at you with like a barrage of accusations, which they might if you invite them to talk to you, you're not going to feel very comfortable. But remember, it's not your turn. You decided that you're a caregiver in this role. And that other person needs acknowledgement and support while they're trying to figure out what they feel. Okay, these three steps that I'm talking about now, step two, three, and four, all have to do with acknowledgement. There are different kinds of acknowledgement on the part of the care receiver and sharing on the part of the care receiver. So the order doesn't matter quite so much but the important thing to realize, many times we respond to somebody's initial communication and we start telling them some response, maybe about our own opinion about that. You need at least three more times acknowledging somebody when they're trying to talk to you before you really get to what's really going on, before you know what they need and are able to respond to it carefully. So that's why I put three times in here acknowledgement and in different ways, okay? So we'll, I have some examples. Ways that you can acknowledge somebody. Uh, sorry, I cut out that illustration. Um, you can say things like, thank you for talking about this. Um, you totally have a reason to be upset, right? You're right. I have been really preoccupied with the kids or whatever. I haven't really listened and understood this before, and I want to. Okay, so all of these are ways that you can communicate to the person while they're accusing you that you're listening. All right, for the care receiver, the person sharing, think about what is your opinion in this scenario? If my loved one hasn't listened to me well in the past, I should accept the reality and give up on getting them to understand, but give them a very clear death stare. 
get my needs met elsewhere. The dog is a pretty good listener, right? Tell them why it's hopeless to talk to them. They are not safe. It's a really big culture word. Or share an actual feeling, give them multiple chances. If you're the one sharing and your partner's not doing a very good job at acknowledging, they might need more chances. And the important thing here is don't get hopeless or despair and give up. Remember, you might be actually blaming in the way that you're talking because it's always risky to talk about your fears and what you're feeling and especially if you anticipate not being heard. So you need several tries too. Try open with things that are a little more vulnerable and less blaming. Something like, I'm having a hard time because I think you'll get defensive. Or I've been feeling really lonely. Or I don't know how to fix this, but it doesn't feel good to me. So these are ways that are not quite as triggering to your caregiving partner. Like I said, it's hard to do, but I think it's helpful to have some ideas. And like I said, you can go back to the app and look for some of these samples. Okay, next step. This one has to do with acknowledging responsibility. Okay, when you realize, say to yourself, when I realize I've hurt my loved one, I should reassure them that I didn't mean to hurt them. That's a really common one. I know you've done that before. <laughs> Point out all the times that I have been caring, right? Or not worry too much about it because their expectations are unrealistic. <laughs> the right answer is feel genuine regret and acknowledge responsibility. This is hard for all of us. So I want you to anticipate this reality. If you are important to anyone, and if they rely on you to get their needs met, it means you are the one that will hurt or disappoint them the most. This is a bummer. This will be the case even if it's not your intention because you're that important. So predict that your partner or your friend or your child or your sibling will point out something that you have done that has hurt them. And you'll want to explain the context, how your behavior is a result of what they did. Maybe true, but not helpful at this point. If you get all defensive, then the conversation now demands that they take care of you and reassure you that's about your demand, your needs being met, right? Instead of giving them space to process their own. When we're hurt, we don't always think about the context, okay? Like a teen might say, you never trust me. I have heard things like this recently. Um, in this hopeless, really defeated, victim-y way, like they forgot that five minutes ago they just lied to me. Totally ignoring that context. And you will want to say, well, I'm not doing anything wrong by doubting you. You just lied to me. Can't you see there's potential to gain trust if you were just honest? Don't say it. Okay, remember, you're currently giving care, which means you're finding out what they need. And we all know if you're facing consequences of your actions, you don't want somebody to rub it in and tell, them, tell you it's your fault. They need you to share the burden a little bit. Acknowledge what's true about how you are causing hurt. 
it's possibly not all the truth, but if you are starting to listen and care, most likely you'll feel a lot of compassion and regret. You still won't know how to fix it, but acknowledgement will help a lot. You can say things like, that makes sense that you would be mad. I have complained a lot instead of appreciating you. I usually do get defensive. I can see why you feel it can't come to me. That is really disappointing that I'm not more affectionate. I can see why you're lonely. I need to work on that. Okay, all these are ways that when you're, I mean, really, if you're saying these things, it will probably stop the person you're talking to in their tracks because they might not believe that you're going to say this. <laughs> okay, this is how the same step applies to the person, the vulnerable person that's seeking to be understood. Um, they need to share, you need to share your hurt at this moment. Anticipate that the listener won't understand everything and they might even be a little dismissive. This is normal. They're not in your mind and they're a little sensitive too. Just slow down, don't get hopeless. I think I might have said that already. Hopelessness at this point will be the one thing that will trigger your partner the most. Misunderstandings are almost always part of the conversation. If there is effort to pay attention, that's enough safety to risk being more vulnerable. Say things like, I can see you're starting to get it, but it's more that whatever. Thanks for understanding, but I think I actually feel frustrated that I'm still not understood. <laughs> or, wow, thanks for apologizing. I realize I've been scared to talk about this before. Okay, we have one more acknowledgement slash sharing step to get to. This one is about acknowledging underlying issues. But I want you to think about this question. When I take responsibility, it will... Okay, if you just did what I said you to do, if you just did that, what will happen? It will make them not trust me because I admitted to doing what they don't like. One possibility. It will end the hard feelings because we should be able to move on. Or it will make me feel worse because I'm failing all of the time. These are all possibilities, but the right answer is it will open the door for real understanding and connection. Okay, we tend, let's talk about what this looks like. We tend to think that um, whatever a conversation starts out with is actually the important thing to keep talking about. But after some acknowledgement that you're giving, like we're talking about, these steps two, three, right? The topic will probably change. And this is actually good. It won't necessarily be about you anymore. For instance, you might have started out addressing a complaint that you don't help out with the housework or that you don't appreciate somebody enough. But the more you talk about it, all of a sudden you realize, oh, this started way back when, many years ago on our honeymoon or when we were first friends and you said this comment and felt rejected, she felt rejected or actually maybe your mother-in-law is interfering with something or Maybe your spouse is having a problem with such and such child and feels like a bad mom, right? There's all kinds of issues that could be underlying this symptom. And 
if you're talking like with your teen, for instance, and you started out addressing this attitude problem, but you're doing a good job listening, you might suddenly hear that they've been keeping a secret or that they have a fear of the next phase of their life or they are being teased in school. Predict that the conversation will change. Some people get frustrated by this because they were still trying to make sense of the first problem that came up. Let it go. Now that you've done a good job communicating that you are a safe listener, you're seeing their pain, you're taking responsibility, your partner's brain has been able to utilize a safe attachment. And the Holy Spirit will start revealing truth. It is so amazing. So rather than getting frustrated by not resolving the first issue, enjoy the fact that you're gaining much more insight now. And you will be a lot more effective in meeting their needs. You can always come back to the symptom later. So in order to support your partner in this step, think about this question or this, this idea. I think I can understand why you would feel that way. So in this step, you're going to be putting your thinking cap on too and thinking about all of the connections. Why would they feel the way they're feeling? And you might be able to contribute some of your own realizations too. Um, in a couple of sentences, you can say that. I put in there a couple of sentences because sometimes people are very analytical and they get quite verbose and they can take up all the space. And that's not what I'm advocating. If you're in the position of a caregiver, the space is still provided for the person you're caring for, but you can help them. Okay, so the, for the, in the role of the care receiver, this step four, I want you to think about your response to this question. When I'm feeling heard and I start to open up, I will probably feel great. Everyone loves to be heard. Or try offering a solution to my partner. If they would just do what I say, everything would work out. I know some of you do that. Realize this is a terrible idea and leave. Go get a drink instead. Or the right answer is start to vulnerably share underlying issues that are connected to this situation. Okay, guys, figuring out why you feel the way you do and what you're doing, why you're doing what you're doing is hard work and most likely you won't like it. We've been talking about how caregiving, it, that seems like the significant act of love, right? To give somebody all this acknowledgement. But actually, if you're open to someone and you're vulnerably asking for care, you're not just giving care, you're giving yourself. It is hard. It is truly a brave act of love. So here's some examples. Maybe you started out complaining about how somebody's too demanding, but at this point, you realize you're actually hurt because you wanted to be closer to her and she misunderstands you. Maybe you started out saying that you're mad because your wife doesn't follow the budget. And at this point, you start to realize you're feeling bad because you don't think you're providing enough. Sometimes my daughter will feel anxious <laughs> about her classes. But then the more we talk, I realize she's grieving some things. Maybe that I'm not cooking for her even. <laughs> Eventually, my husband and I, in the story that I told you before, we'll kind of fix this bad cycle 
And when he starts listening, I start talking, oftentimes it comes down to a lack of closeness. Like I'm just missing his attention. Then we'll get to the next step, which is good news for all of you people who like to fix things. You are finally getting your chance. So step five for the caregiver is about giving comfort. Here's your question. When I can see that my partner is feeling overwhelmed or anxious or sad, I should wait it out because physical touch is not my love language. I don't know how every single person in the whole wide world has a love language and it's not the right one at the right moment. I'll tell myself I am not responsible for their happiness. I have boundaries. Or tell them, just give it to God, honey. Just give it to God. Okay. All right. The right answer is, oh, I wanted to show you this, but I'll tell you the right answer is figure out what they need that would offer some comfort or relief. Okay. Picture a good nurse. Right? A good nurse can tell when their patient is in pain and they figure out something to do. I think this is an amazing skill. And I remember when I was having my second baby, I had, we scheduled my, um, the birth around this one nurse because she's so good. And she just knew what to do and she could just get me through it. It wasn't like she made the pain go away exactly but she figured out some way to make it more tolerable. And I love this verse. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us. Isn't that so great to picture that? Who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. So your goal here is to relieve the fear, loneliness, sadness, anxiety in this moment when they're sharing with you. We're usually inclined to try to figure out a formula to prevent hurt the next time. But this results in frustration and some disappointment. Trust is not built through totally like avoiding pain, but through understanding and responsiveness over time. So you can't predict the circumstances of the next time. Instead, think about what is my partner saying that they need right now, right? Kind of like the nurse patient. What could I do for them right now to increase their comfort? Let's say, for example, you have to discipline a child or something. You can usually predict there's going to be a little protest, unless you've trained them well enough and they don't protest at all, but, you know, You can figure out that what they need is to relax and be able to accept this discipline, but it's not easy. And it doesn't help if you tell them, well, you could avoid this pain if you weren't so stupid, right? Even though sometimes that's what I'm thinking in my mind, but that's not what we want to respond like, right? Instead, we respond to the pain of whatever they're feeling well enough to help them relax. Wait until it's a little bit obvious. If they start to cry, they might need like a tender hug, empathy. Your child might ask, do you think I do anything right? Just say yes. Or why am I the only one in the family that gets in trouble? Um, Do you hear the desperate need of reassurance, 
of value in that time? If you hear that question coming to you, you can just meet the need, right? It will go a long way to helping them handle frustration and the difficult experience of discipline. Don't worry about the next time or teaching a lesson yet. Meet the present need for comfort, then their brain will work much more creatively and they might be able to admit what they need to change. If your wife, for instance, says, gets to this step, she might admit she's been grumpy for a long time. And some of you tend to be like uber responsible and think that it's your fault, but she's telling you it's about her. See her, comfort her. She desperately needs some reassurance. Maybe even though she's been a bear to live with, she needs to know that you still choose her. Or if your husband gets to this point, he might admit shame about mistakes, sadness about inadequacy, and need reassurance that you believe in him. The first thing that someone will ask for if you're getting to this point of interaction is usually pretty easy because you were trying to convince them of that all along. But then watch. Does the body relax? Are they laughing yet? Or do the complaints keep coming? If they do relax, the need's been met. And we, but if they don't, then they probably need another chance to clarify. Many people get frustrated when they try to meet the need of their loved one and it doesn't work. But don't expect that we just automatically know what we need and we can ask for it clearly and we're accurate. That's not how our personalities are made up. Our needs are buried under layers of defenses. Sometimes it takes quite a few tries to figure it out. So if you try to comfort your loved one and it doesn't work, don't worry about it. Listen more and try to figure something else out. Oftentimes there is a need that requires a risk on the part of your loved one to ask for because you will have to make a change. And remember how I said we have that assumption that we don't really think people will change for us? But as you're gaining understanding, you might realize what it is. Maybe you need to be more open about talking about money than you have been. Maybe you need to be willing to change how frequently you're intimate. Maybe you need to change your work schedule or your perspective on your relationship. Maybe you need to schedule lunch with a friend or invite someone into your friend group. You will at some point be asked to give. Remember that term, to give something. And it will be challenging. But you remember what love means. It's to give, this is your opportunity. And if you already can see what needs to change and your partner's having a hard time asking for it, go ahead and suggest it. Okay, for the vulnerable person who's just let down your walls, you're sharing about yourself, you will feel some relief, but it's time to do a little body scan, okay? If you're smiling and relaxed, then most likely your needs have been met. But if you feel some tension still or hesitancy or nausea, which we all kind of feel when we're getting vulnerable, then you need to think, what would make me feel better now? Okay, 
ask yourself this question. When I share about my own problems and I feel upset, I expect that being heard should be enough. I have to get over my anxiety on my own. It's not fair to ask someone to change for me. Or the right answer, your loved one will actually respond to a clear invitation for reassurance or closeness or warmth or acceptance. This is tricky for everyone. Like literally everyone. I don't I don't have any couple that I've worked with really that has ever just naturally been able to say exactly what they need at this point. But if but you we all need to take a risk. If your partner is willing to do something, then you can ask. You might need them to pull you closer. You might need to ask them to trust you and believe in your intentions. If you're a kid, you might need to ask your parents to accept you. You might need them to give you more guidance or another chance. The point is, what would help you feel better right now? I cannot overemphasize how healing these moments are. And when we're thinking about mental health in the church, oftentimes we think about diagnoses like depression, anxiety, OCD, or personality disorders. But there are so many of those symptoms that appear because they're lacking this connection and so many symptoms that can be addressed by deeper connection and a more whole experience, a loving experience when you're in pain. So I hope and pray that God is showing you right now how you can express more ahava in your relationships when your needs conflict. Thank you.